Hello, and welcome to A Health Policy. I think we need to step back first before we even ask the policy question and ask this simple question. Is it okay in the United States to die of cancer simply because you don't have health insurance? I'm your host, Alan Weil. Cancer is a leading cause of death in the United States, and although there have been significant declines in cancer deaths in recent years, improvements have not been equally distributed across the population. Racial disparities are particularly pronounced. Now, the risk of cancer increases with age. Nearly a quarter of all new cancers diagnosed each year in the U.S. occur among those ages 55 to 64. In fact, cancer is the leading cause of death in this age group. At age 65, pretty much everyone gains Medicare coverage, creating a ready comparison of cancer outcomes between those just below age 65 who may have private insurance, Medicaid, or be uninsured, and those above 65 who are on Medicare. The relationship between insurance coverage and cancer outcomes is the subject of today's health policy. I'm joined by Gerard Silvestri, a physician in the Hollings Cancer Center at the Medical University of South Carolina. Dr. Silvestri and co-authors published a paper in the May 2021 issue of Health Affairs assessing differences in cancer survival between patients younger than 65 and Medicare beneficiaries just over 65. They found significantly worse survival rates for uninsured patients ages 60 to 64 than similar patients who had reached Medicare eligibility. And there were other interesting results that we'll discuss here in a moment. Dr. Silvestri, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Alan. Let's start with sort of the role of cancer in health and American health. As I said, it's a leading cause of death, but cancer is actually a lot of different things. It can uh, hit people at different points in their lives. Just Tell us a little bit about the picture of cancer in the United States. Yeah, so, you know, over the past 20 to 30 years, um, you know, cancer and heart disease have been the major killers in the United States. Um, and, and you're right, it, it, could, it can occur uh, in, in younger uh, people. But as you age, you're more likely to develop cancer. Our immune systems just aren't as good at gobbling up cancer cells as they were when we were younger. Um, what we've seen is that there are sort of three big cancers we like to talk about. Lung cancer, which is largely attributable to cigarette smoking, colorectal and breast cancer, and, and those are the sort of big three. But there are many cancers, um, and there are childhood cancers and adult cancers. And so, you know, I don't know a family that's not been touched by cancer in one way or the other, whether it be esophageal cancer, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer. So there's, you know, you know 16 or 17 broad groupings of cancers uh, out there that, that make up the vast majority of all cancers. There are also very rare tumors we don't talk about too much, but by and large, there's a, you know four or five or six cancers that make up the, the most of our cancer burden in this country. And, it, and again, it, it sort of balances with heart disease as the major killer in the United States. Now, you're absolutely right. I think uh, every family has been touched by cancer in one way or another. Before we get into your findings, overall, cancer death rates are actually falling. And I know how we treat cancer has changed quite dramatically and continues to evolve. What do we know about why cancer death rates are on their way down on average? 
So in general, the leading uh, cause of cancer death is lung cancer. And in fact, more people die of lung cancer than breast cancer, colon cancer, and prostate cancer combined every year in the United States. So one of the big reasons cancer deaths have, have declined is because smoking rates have declined in the United States. And so, you know, less people are being burdened with lung cancer and, and we see better outcomes there. The second reason is therapies have gotten a ton better. And, and you know, we, we see these incredible targeted therapies therapies, immunotherapy, which is giving us much longer survival than we had ever seen before. I've been at this 30 years and take care of primarily lung cancer patients. In the early days, you know, less than 5% of patients with advanced lung cancer lived five years. And now we're seeing some of our patients, maybe even up to 15 or 20% living five years or more with these outstanding uh, treatments that have been developed. Finally, you know, we don't have a great handle on this, but we know that early detection makes a difference. And so screening for different cancers like breast and colorectal cancer have shown some benefit. But I would say mostly it's, you know, better health by not smoking. It's um, and better treatments that have caused that decline. And certainly the diagnosis and screening and more important, the treatment are uh, affected by whether or not people have health insurance, whether they're getting routine care, whether they're getting the care they need. So your study looked at the role of insurance in cancer care and cancer outcomes. Uh, describe who you compared to whom. What were you looking at here to try to figure out the effects of insurance? What we started was, I was actually watching the presidential debates, and we saw in the presidential debates with the Democratic Party that people were looking at, hey, man, could we have Medicare for all, Medicare for all who want it, reduce the age of Medicare down to a certain age? Um, and I was at the time working with a fairly large national database. And so I started looking at it and thinking to myself, well, wait a second, um, what do we know about that? Uh, one thing we do know is that everybody over 65, as you stated previously, has health care insurance. That's 63 million Americans have uniform health care insurance. And under that, people have some level or no level of insurance. And so what we wanted to do was compare younger patients who, by the way, should do better than older patients with the same cancer. So for example, a 55-year-old with uh, is the same stage of lung cancer should do better than an 80-year-old. We know that as you age, you don't do as well from cancer outcomes. So we asked the question, would an uninsured patient under 65, but closing in on that 65, so 60 to 64, do about the same as someone with Medicare, do worse or do better? Um, we also compared that to people with private insurance under the age of 65, and also the Medicare plus supplemental insurance. So somebody with Medicare, but also having the supplemental insurance, those are the groups we generally looked at. We did look at Medicaid and, and, and other such things, but generally the, the hypothesis was that you might lose the benefit of age in that younger population if you didn't have insurance. So you mentioned something. I'm not a clinician, and you mentioned one of the things that popped into my mind as I was reading this is that, yes, people who are younger and they have any condition almost are more likely to do well. But sometimes we think, wow, if someone younger got this, there must have been something more severe about them. There maybe was something wrong with them, and so they're, they're, they might face actually worse odds. But you're saying the data are really quite clear that for the same cancer, holding everything else equal, there's really no question that someone younger who's diagnosed with that cancer ought to do better than someone older. That's clinically clear. 
it's clear, and it's clear across 16 cancers in this study, the best group, the best survivorship was among people in that younger age group who had private insurance. So, so no question, if you had insurance and you were younger, you did better across 16 cancers in this study than if you had, if you were either older or younger without insurance. Okay. So, and let's talk about how you do these comparisons. When I look at a paper like yours, and this is very common in literature, you have survival curves and it's, it really pops out at you visually in a way that we can't quite capture on a podcast, but describe how it is that you describe cancer survival rates and what these survival curves mean. So the official name is a Kaplan-Meier curve, and it's a statistical thing that we do. But just to sort of give the general public a view of that, I would like you to start up at everyone's alive. 100% of people are alive at, let's say, the upper left-hand corner of your graph. And then as people die over time, you see the curve dip down, dip down. And, and at some point, it might flatten out if everyone survives. And we use, in cancer terms, a cure at five years. So five years, we generally say someone is cured. And, you know, of course, in my clinic, we always have a party at that five-year mark. Um, but, but what you can do is then put curves next to each other. So, for example, you could put the curve of a breast cancer patient um, who's younger uh, against the curve of a breast cancer patient who's younger without insurance against somebody who's older. So in general, in this paper, we had uh, we displayed four curves. The curve of somebody who had was younger with insurance, the curve who is someone older with Medicare plus a supplemental insurance, the curve of someone who's older with just Medicare, and then the curve of somebody who's uninsured. And what we found, again, was that, that as you uh, gained insurance um, or were younger with private insurance, your survivorship at any point in that curve was better. Yeah, and it really just jumps out because it's such an, you're not comparing numbers, you just see it visually right there. In the paper, you use this phrase that there's considerably lower survival for younger uninsured patients. What does considerably mean in this context? Yeah, so for us, it depended on the cancer, and, and that's for two reasons. One is that the biology of different cancers is different, right? In general, pancreatic cancer has a terrible five-year survivorship. Um, so it depended on the cancer how big the effect size was. It didn't matter whether you had insurance or anything else. At five years, those curves came together, if you will. Um, but it, so it depends on the cancer, right? And then it depended for us in this study after we controlled. Controlling means that we equalized people with early stage versus late stage disease. We equalized them whether they were sicker, had more comorbidities or weren't sicker. We um, equalized for race and other, the other uh, parameters. But what I would say is that that considerable was, for example, between 5 and 20% um, at any place in those curves. So some of the curves at the end of five years, 20% more people who had health care insurance that were older survived more than than people without insurance. So for example, if you took 10 patients, right, um, you know, you know, and 10 patients were alive in the insured group that was older with Medicare, only eight patients would be alive in that in, uh, uninsured younger population. So this, it could be dramatic. What's more important is even in the cancers that were not, you know, 
curable, bad sort of outcomes. At one in two years, we saw between you know 12 and 20% improvements in survival of older patients with Medicare as opposed to the younger counterparts. And, and Alan, you might say to me, hey, Gerard, like, like ah, it's 12%, 20%, and it's only one year. At five years, many of the patients are gone. Well, like, like if you're that patient in that family, that one year of extra survival benefit might allow you to you know, see your daughter get married. So things like that, I think, are important. And listen, patients will take any amount of time they can get. These findings are really dramatic. We're going to talk a little bit more about the why and what we know about the mechanism for these differences. Uh, we'll do that after we take a short break. What does it mean for health system leaders to pursue a culture of health? To help answer this question, Health Affairs launched Leading to Health, a series supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. With these journalist-written articles, we examine some of the most innovative health systems out there. Health Affairs recently collected these lessons on a new, easy-to-navigate resource page. Visit healthaffairs.org leading to health and stay up to date on the latest reporting and research. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Gerard Silvestri about cancer survival and the role of insurance in contributing to that survival. Earlier on, you talked about why survival has increased in general. Now you're reporting these aggregate numbers, 15, 20% difference in survival rates. You don't have in those data exactly why, but we do know a lot from the literature about these contributors to survival. So what can you tell us, or what do you hypothesize beyond your own study, I'm interested in both, about what it is about insurance that led to better outcomes? Is it earlier diagnosis? Is it earlier treatment? Is it better treatment? Is it something else? Yeah, so I think it's a complicated question. Um, The first thing I would say is what we did see in our uninsured population is that they presented with later stage disease and other studies have confirmed that, you know, you're 1.5 to three times more likely to present with late stage disease. And as we know, early stage disease is associated with better outcomes. So just imagine that if your cancer is just located in one small spot in your lung and you could operate on it and take it out, your survivorship is going to be 80 percent or so, as opposed to when it's spread outside the chest to other parts of the body where your survivorship is 5 to 10 to 15 percent at five years. So one part of this is that if you lack health insurance, you present with later stage disease. Why is that? Um, some of it might be related to screening and not having access to screening, but some of it is certainly the impediments that are put in place um, if you don't have insurance. Like, for example, co-pays when you go to get a, you know, your diagnosis or your staging test. You know, oh, well, you have to have this copay. Um, it may be that that folks um, just don't have access to a primary care provider when they have back pain, and and so it takes them a while, and they end up in an emergency room for that. This study actually did not focus on that group. We focused after they were diagnosed and controlled for their stage of disease. They still had worse outcomes. Why is that? Well, you know, some of these therapies are incredibly costly. Like if you look at some of the new drugs for, um, you know, for treatment of cancer, the immunotherapy drugs, they can be $40,000, $80,000 per year. Now, 
there are some people through programs that can get these medications, but there's some that can't. And so, you know, those are some of the reasons I think that um, the outcomes are necessarily worse. Listen, in the Medicare, one of the sort of rules of Medicare is if you want to be a participating hospital and provider, you have to accept Medicare, right? A good portion of our practice um, is, ta is taking care of Medicare uh, aged patients. Um, you can opt out of that, but you have to have a really specialized practice to do that. Most of us accept Medicare. And so those people are covered for their cancer therapy by and large without a lot of out-of-pocket expense. They have some, they have some, uh, but that out-of-pocket expense, if you're uninsured, is devastating, is absolutely devastating. So I think it's a con contribution of getting to the doctor later with advanced disease. But again, even stage for stage, um, getting the right treatments um, for that cancer is really important. And that is unavailable to s many patients without health insurance. So this is really interesting. It suggests to me that if anything, your study results understate the difference, because as you noted, people who don't get screened in at all, they're not in your study. You're already controlling for people who've been diagnosed. So anything that makes it worse or delays the diagnosis as a result of uninsurance, that's on top of the results that you found after people have been diagnosed. This is in some sense an even bigger story uh, then what you're able to document, I totally get why you did it this way. I'm just saying that that it does sound like there, there are problems that you can't even capture here. That actually ties into something I wanted to ask you about, which is I mentioned at the outset, and there are significant uh, racial differences in cancer outcomes. What's your sense if we provided health insurance to the people who in your study were uninsured would that eliminate the disparities that we see in cancer outcomes or are there are other things that we'd have to do in conjunction with that? Yeah. So, you know, we looked at that and um, we looked at disparities by race. Um, and in this study, we looked at Hispanics and, and, and blacks. And what we found is that if you controlled for insurance status, the outcomes of blacks and Hispanics improved. So you eliminated partially their disparities, but not completely. And so that suggests there are other social determinants of, of disease that we haven't accounted for, like things like access to providers and access to hospitals and maybe some cultural beliefs that keep people away from uh, getting care from physicians and hospitals. But, but certainly it didn't eliminate it. But I will say this, Alan, it's one of the ones that's modifiable, right? So some of these other social determinants may take generations to modify, but but this is a, a modifiable insurance is something that's modifiable. If you provide insurance, um, you, you do start to see these benefits. And we saw that with the expansion of the um, ACA where Medicaid uh, uh, was expanded. We saw, for example, one study showed that uh, patients with cancer that were now covered under the a ACA were being di diagnosed with earlier stage disease. So, um, you know, there is some linkage there. Would we eliminate disparities? Uh, by providing insurance to this group, this 60 to 64 or 55 to 64, absolutely not. And you know there have been some studies from uh, from countries with um, with complete 100% coverage, like the Nordic countries, and there's still disparities even after you know that everyone has insurance coverage. So it wouldn't eliminate them completely, but in my view, uh, it's modifiable and would absolutely partially eliminate those disparities. Well, that seems like a good test for whether something's worth doing, and uh, it doesn't have to be a full solution to, to have some real benefits. You said at the outset that the motivation for this was looking at that age cut point of Medicare. I'm sure you know there's 
discussion right now about potentially lowering the Medicare eligibility level. I'm not going to ask you to take a stand on that if you don't want to, but maybe you have one. And uh, if you do, I'd, I'd love to hear it. And if you want to shy away from that, at least tell me uh, what you think those who are considering it ought to do with the findings from your research. Yeah, I'm not going to be shy about this. Um, I, I think I want to step back because everyone dives right into the policy question. And I want to be clear that I'm not a policy person, right? I'm a health services researcher who takes care of lung cancer patients. Um, and, you know, I'm faced with that on, on a, uh, in, a, in a state that's two-thirds uh, uh, rural and underserved and 40% African-American. So, so, so I'm faced with this all the time. Um, I think we need to step back first before we even ask the policy question and ask this simple question. Is it okay in the United States to die of cancer simply because you don't have health insurance? That, that's the first part of this. Like, is it okay? Because if it's not okay, if it's okay, if you're going to own that, and I think some people actually are willing to own that, that every, you know, it's a sort of a dog-eat-dog world and everyone, you know, if you get insurance, great. And if you don't have it, sorry. Um, but if, you, if you're going to really own this, if you're going to say it's not okay, then we have to have policy discussions. And, and to me, this sort of simplest, again, not being a policy person, solution would be to lower uh, the age of Medicare um, uh, to expand Medicare or some such policy, catastrophic coverage policy that allows us uh, to care for cancer patients. And so if you're not okay, you know, with someone dying of cancer simply because they don't have health insurance. And again, we looked at 16 cancers and the effect was the same across 16 ca cancers. The effect size might've been a little different based on the cancer, but the effect was there. Um, if you had health insurance and you were younger, you did the best. If you were had no insurance and you were younger, you did worse than your older counterparts with the same stage and the same type of cancer. If we're saying that, and if we think it's not okay, then the policy questions, the policy wonks should be, you know, talking to each other about what would be the most efficient way. Um, I will say this, 63 million, if people don't think in this country that we already have some social um, form of, of, of health care, you know, 63 million Americans are covered under the Medicare benefit in 2021. And that number is going to rise because we have an aging population. The real question is, can we expand that? Um, and by the way, despite what people say, um, it's actually a fairly well-run benefit, um, you know, because, um, you know, the government basically sets the rates. And so they've been able to control costs. The rate of rise of the cost of Medicare has not been uh, as great over the past 10 years as it was years before that. So um, I, I think smarter people than me would deal with the policy pieces and the politics of it. I think this provides us with some evidence. And one last thing I'd say, Alan, is, you know, we talk about just cancer here, but we could replace the word cancer and do this type of analysis for diabetes, for coronary artery disease or heart disease, right? Another major killer in this country. Um, we, we didn't do that here. I'm a cancer guy, and so that's what I concentrated myself on. But there aren't many analyses. I looked for them for people just approaching Medicare age and looking at outcomes in that age of uninsured patients. But I suspect it's exactly the same. Um, I, I suspect you'd find the same thing if you looked at this um, through the eyes of a diabetologist or a cardiologist. Well, I know the policy wonks would uh, want to bring in some other dimensions like 
would the innovations we've seen in treatment occur as rapidly if more people were on Medicare? And they might also ask the question, if we caught more of these cancers and other diseases earlier, maybe the cost of Medicare would decline some because of earlier treatment and and less need for some of those aggressive treatments. So I think it's fair to say you uh, have teed up uh, an excellent uh, scenario here for those policy folks to take these results and run with them. Um, and uh, I, I believe the contribution you make on our understanding of where we are and applying the value system that you're very uh, explicit about is the right first step to solving these problems. So I'm appreciative of the paper you wrote and particularly appreciative of you explaining it and giving us some context uh, in our discussion today. Dr. Silvestri, thank you so much for joining me. And again, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>